Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, for more information on Michael, myself, or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to Monday's show. It's Monday, April the 18th, 2016. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you've uh, chosen to join us once again for our inquiry into and our work with first century Aramaic forgiveness. Forgiveness being the process by which you reach inside the hidden depths of yourself and remove what never belonged as opposed to the uh, errant thing called forgiveness in our culture of letting other people off the hook because there's something hiding inside ourselves that doesn't belong. So we're looking into that process. Uh, Jeannie and I, of course, one of the uh, hobbies that we have is uh, seeing films that's kind of our our way of uh, breaking away from the the uh the ongoing work day and getting some playtime in and uh saw an interesting film this weekend that uh although it's a fantasy it was kind of interesting how close it uh it came to the truth the movie's criminal kind of a heavy duty side and basically it's a story about a man who uh who's a you know an secret agent type operative who gets killed and they are able to preserve his body and uh, they have to find someone in whom they can implant his memories in order to get some very you know in order to be able to extract some very important information from him so that's the the scenario that's the setup but where this film uh, represented in a sense this work was that the man they ended up selecting was basically a sociopath, someone with no conscience that could simply, you know, at the drop of a hat, tear up anybody, destroy, just, you know, as as vicious as they come, with no conscience whatsoever, no second thoughts, no ability to control himself, no impulse control, just tear anybody and anything to pieces. And they end up, you know, taking this guy out of prison where he's held in, you know, in chains because he's so dangerous. And they sedate him, which uh, takes them about uh, four times the sedation that it would for anybody else. And they go through the procedure and they're not sure they're successful. And it's kind of interesting as uh, this gentleman actually starts to be able to feel they uh he does share they do share at one point the uh the reason he's in prison the way he is the way he is is that uh i believe it was when he was 2 years of age his uh father found out that he was not really his father the man he who ostensibly was his father and went into such a rage that he threw the child out the window and there was severe brain damage done you know, so a, a genetic impulse toward this uh, sociopathic behavior and the ability to reach out in such rage and viciousness that it would damage anyone. But it was kind of interesting because as the procedure that they put him through is somewhat successful, all of a sudden this guy is actually, for the first time in his life, able to feel the presence of love. And it start, it, it, he plays it 
the, the fellow who plays the part uh, plays it quite well as he's shocked by the fact that all of a sudden he starts to develop a conscience. He starts to feel. He starts to be able to have empathy for others. And what brings that about, you know, we, we so often ask the question, and I think it's one of the most important questions of this work, is how many have ever held a newborn child? And whenever we ask someone if they've held a newborn child, and the answer is yes, it's always kind of interesting to observe because the first thing that happens is we ask them to go back and imagine once again holding the newborn is they'll get a little smile on their faces. And then we ask them to describe the essence of the newborn. And wherever we go, wherever on the planet, whatever culture, when we ask that question, everybody's answer is always some variation on the theme of love. Now, we use this question as a dividing line to redefine the word love because the way that the word is used in the culture is a misuse and keeps people off track and unable to think rationally around that topic because our culture uses the word love as a verb, something we're going to do to each other or do to ourselves. And, of course, at that point when someone is tapping into that essence, gets that little smile on their face and they say love or some variation on the theme, I generally ask the question now, now is the child loving you? And they kind of look at me a little cockeyed. like, what do you mean? Well, is the child loving you? Well, no. Then what do you mean love? The child is love. It's not something the child's doing to you. You can't do love. You either are love or you don't function as love. And so this gentleman, there's a, a child involved in the memories, and he's in his vicious mode. He has this man's memories. He breaks into this man's house and is ready to do damage to, uh, to the woman the man was married to until he actually looks at her. And all of a sudden it stirs some of these feelings that this man has never had before. And he's kind of, you know, a little freaked out and, I think he, you know, it kind of portrays how he's ready to reach out and damage her and yet can't do it. And the confusion, and he begins to express that. He goes looking through the house and finds a child that's five or six, and, and you see him flash back to the newborn and that presence of love, and, and he just leaves the child. And while he's never stood for anything or anybody except taking what he wants with no impulse control and a total sociopath, all of a sudden he starts to think twice and he isn't able to do that. And then as he has deeper and more experiences, and it's, it's very much like people who start out with this work. And I, I, uh, with a lament in my heart, uh, am shocked and how often I'll speak with someone when they start doing this work, and when I talk about love, they tell me they have no idea what I'm talking about. The word has no meaning to them, and they can't fathom I'm even talking about. And the fellow who plays the criminal in this film is plays it rather well as he, you know, you see the shock on his face as this love comes forward and the behavior that he was about to do out of his sociopathic vicious mind is stopped. It's short circuited. And then when, because of all the, you know, the scenarios, all the storyline of the movie, the, uh, the woman and her child are in danger, even though it's at the risk of his own life, which, you know, there's never been anything but taking care of himself all of a sudden, he steps forward at the risk of his own life to take care of this child and this woman. And it, it, it portrays just so well. Now, it's a pretty heavy-duty move. If you're going to go see it, be prepared to brief, take some worksheets, because it's kind of heavy-duty. 
but at the same time, it's quite sweet and quite beautiful in how it portrays this man as he becomes acquainted with these feelings of love that are totally foreign to him because of the, the injury and brain damage and uh, violence with which he was treated and how he becomes acquainted with this active presence of love begins to function out of it. And it's really quite, uh, quite an interesting portrayal. And, and in, in a sense, very often as I work with people, you know, as I've worked with people down through the years, I've seen this exact uh, scenario played out where people who have no experience and no idea what the presence of love is, all of a sudden are touched by that active presence and they're left in confusion as to what kind of behavior to do because their standard has been one thing that is totally devoid, you know, the sociopath in in this case, to a, a space where there's a conscience, there's caring, and there's the ability, the ability to function as the active presence of love. And the thing that was interesting is very much as I see people in real life who start to do this work, how they shift back and forth, they're in and out of their viciousness and, and back to love and into their viciousness. This gentleman goes through and portrays quite well the shifting of his persona. And it's interesting, the, uh, the Greek word persona actually means mask. And the mask that most of us wear is one that's built out of our power person dynamics. That mask controls our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors until we have our encounter with the active presence of love, which begins the transformation of everything. The transformation doesn't happen overnight. It's not instantaneous. It is a process, but as portrayed in this film quite well, each time he has this experience of love, he shifts one step closer to functioning as a human being rather than as a vicious automaton. So interesting film if you choose to see it. And, uh, of course, the whole thrust of this work, the whole reason for this work is to support people who perhaps have lost contact with the truth of who they are to come back into full-blown relationship with the fact that they are the active presence of love, that that's what we as human beings are actually made of. And anyone anywhere in the world that's doing a behavior other than that is doing a behavior other than functioning as love because they've lost contact with the truth of who they are. Now, the beauty of the truth of who we are is the truth of who we are is always preserved. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what your drama, your trauma, your story is, what horrible things have been done to you, what horrible things you've done. The truth will always remain that the love that you are is alive in you if you will allow yourself to touch into it. And when you allow that energy to come into full fruition within your physiology, it will change your persona. It will change your masks. And it's a pretty awesome process to watch. And we are blessed that we get to shepherd thousands and thousands and thousands of people through that process into functioning differently than what their normal persona, their normal masks made of, Oh, God, some of the things I could tell you, the stories, the things that I've seen people do, and yet the truth, you know, probably one of the most dramatic, one of the most interesting, we used to have an office in Albany, Georgia, where we developed laws of living and would teach it, and Albany, Georgia is a pretty rough town. My partner, who co-authored Laws of Living with me, uh, was named Dan McDougall. Everybody used to call him Mr. Mac. He was an attorney. And he was looking for the answer to crime. He was actually directed by British intelligence. He's like, he was very patriotic. And in the uh, in the military, actually, as a young man, he was in the military, and they did IQ tests throughout the whole Navy. And this man was number two in IQ in the Navy back in the early 40s. And his interest turned toward what was happening to the integrity of the political process and the mind of America. And it was actually as an attorney, he had a case where the 
uh, Corps of Engineers was just rampantly, blatantly breaking laws, and that triggered him into what's going on, what, what's happened here, and that's what uh, had him actually start looking into the first century Aramaic language and culture and to start to bring forward the Aramaic work that we ended up joining in and uh, creating a course called Laws of Living to bring healing into the prison. But I remember the day that uh, I was in the office in Albany, very, very rough town. And there's a gentleman who comes into the classroom, you know, once uh, somebody's been, uh, has passed a certain level of the, the personal code evaluation uh, and they're in prison, the judge would give them a conditional reprieve from prison as long as they continued their work in laws of living. And I remember this guy, he was probably about, uh, oh, geez, I don't know, Probably bigger than life in my mind now, but you know, you know, maybe six foot six, six foot eight, two hundred and eighty, three hundred pounds, huge guy, rough looking. This guy has spent most of his life behind bars, and I remember him coming in one day to class, just bounding into the classroom as excited as a little child. They used to call uh, Dan Mister Back. He was very beloved in that community. And uh, this guy came bounding into the classroom. Mr. Mac, Mr. Mac, I was able to keep Rockma active all week this week. And here's this guy that, man, don't put me in a dark alley with him. And he's so excited that he was able to maintain love all week. Pretty awesome, pretty powerful. So we're here to, uh, to create the space of support that when you face or I face a situation where otherwise hostility or fear would rear its ugly head and take us out of awareness that we too could bound into the classroom and say, Mr. Mac, Mr. Mac, we kept love present. We kept Rachma present all week. It's an awesome gift to give to watch how people's lives turn around, shift and change. Doesn't mean everything's going to go the way you want it to be. Doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges. Doesn't mean there isn't going to be drama and trauma in your life. But what we find is that when people start to face their dramas and traumas, their situations, their disappointments, their hates, their fears, their rages, their guilts, and are aware that they can actually bring forward the presence of love, that the first order of business, because the healing power is in maintaining the truth of who we are, the ability to bring forward this awesome active presence of love, that's when everything shifts. And so that's what we're here to support. We're honored that you're here with us. Uh, Jeannie, is Dr. Tim with us today? I'm here. He is. Well, good. I guess Jeannie's probably got her mute button on, but I hear her voice now. How are you, Dr. Tim? I'm doing very well, thank you. Enjoying the... Awesome. Anything to share with us today? Well, um, just delighted to hear about that movie. Well, what's the title of it again? It's Criminal. And Kevin Costner plays the criminal, and it also has Tommy Lee Jones and Ryan Reynolds. Excellent movie. Well, I will I will look at that. And um, I'm just, you know, connecting with what you're saying with about that movie and about the work we do here with, um, I think I mentioned Matt Kahn and his book, Whatever Arises, Love That!, and um, I've been doing some some reading with Krishnamurti, and of course that's very very similar. And then there's another book that came up recently that I've been reading, and it's all the same thing. All these messages are you're made of this stuff, the energy of creation, and and some call it love, and some call it spirit and universe and the one mind, and, and but it's the stuff you're made of, and if if I can get to the point where I can bring my awareness to my true nature in the moment, it changes the entire game, whatever the game is. And I've had 
Pretty amazing. Several, yeah, I've had several examples in my own life um, recently where, you know, I've been able to do that more and more, and 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 it's just amazing. It's what people would call miraculous at the way things in my life have shifted the more I get better at that. And, of course, I normally talk to people about a two-prong approach. One is I want to focus on that loving nature, and some would call it, you know, repeating a mantra or an affirmation. And the other prong of that approach is I want to actively dismantle any and everything that's unlike that that comes up in me as soon as I say that's what I want to do. And it will. I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a lovely process. Um, um, ten years ago, I probably wouldn't have called it lovely, but it's the process that if I say I want to be more loving, then I have to be willing to see and get rid of everything that's unlike love inside my memory banks and my belief system and my conditioning and so it's a it's an active process I need to be in forever. And um and I'm enjoying the process. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And uh and how when the things that yesterday that would have we would say devastated us all of a sudden become exciting opportunities. And uh, I'm saying that specifically because I just, as uh, I was uh, completing the, um, the intro to the show, someone sent me a Facebook message. I usually don't look at my phone when I'm on the show, but someone sent me a Facebook message and this is someone that uh, has been dealing with some pretty severe disease processes to the point where they were going right down the medical rabbit hole. And about two weeks ago, I had a long conversation with them. They'd been to Heartland several times over the years, but it's been years and they'd kind of left their work sort of, you know, in, in the background. And so we had a conversation and I was supporting her and giving her some input about healing and that, she really wanted to be doing her work. Well, this is a purely physical thing and, you know, it's physical. And so when the physical happens, I have to do something physical. I said, well, remember that, you know, that's energy. It's not physical. And there are energetic things you can do as you do your work. And uh, hadn't heard from her for about two weeks since the conversation. And, and it's someone who's generally, and I'll just, I'll, I'll short form her verbiage, but someone who's generally quite, um, reserved in language and thinking rather actually kind of a rather genteel soul as you would as you would think about her if you met her and uh their text says i think i just tapped into the mother load more later what an upper effing opportunity <laughs> she made up a word out of it which is kind of like a shock here from here i'm waiting for a friend someone that's who's worked with her from heartland to call and processes it so i'll talk more about that later shaking and breathing right now i love knowing this work blessed for teaching it oh yeah another superlative i know what's on the other side of this sh something so it's just to and and as I spoke with her just a, a week or two weeks ago, it was like you know trauma, pain. There's you know it's like life. Life is such a mess, and here she is hitting the mother load, and uh, and being excited, and it's so exciting when we can see what it is that we've been hiding ourselves, it turns into our disease. And to me, one of the, the, the big pieces of the puzzle to get is that when we think we're doing it, whatever our viciousness is to somebody else, it's ourselves that we're doing it to. But under the layers of deception and lies, we hide that and we actually think we can do something out of our viciousness to someone else. And the truth is, it's always ourselves we're doing it to. And so here's this lady who's, who's in touch with, wow, this is mine, and I'm so excited to be getting, although her whole body, she says, is shaking. Uh, she's excited to be in touch with it, and uh, it is pretty exciting, isn't it, Tim? Mute button. Yeah, I understand. It is exciting. 
it is exciting, and I have the um, the privilege of being able to do this in my daily work, and then now twice a week in the support group. And one of the joys in my life is that the quality of people that are drawn to this work and stay with it are some of the most loving and lovely people that I encounter anywhere. So I am grateful for the opportunity and I'm looking forward to two more support groups just this week. Cool. Awesome. Well, let's check with Jeannie on the phone. Jeannie, anybody in the chat room with anything happening for us to be aware of or anybody in the phone queue with a hand up? No, there's nothing in the chat room, but we do have a hand up. It's area code 207. You're on the air. Who do we have? Hey there, Captain. How are you, young man? I'm fabulous, Doc. How are you doing? I'm rocking. I'm rocking. Enjoying the process and feeling blessed. You're loud and clear. Well, I tell you what, every time you peel a layer off, oh my God, it's so so freeing, so relieving. And, and you know, it's peeling that last, the last layer off, knowing there's another layer, and you know it's going to suck in the next layer, it's still looking forward to it. It's like peeling a scab off, and it feels good. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. It is exciting when, when, you, yeah. uh, when you have the experience of, rather than, you know, the, the thing in the front of our book of life without tools is hell, realizing that when you have tools that the hells are all self-created, they're all within us, and we throw them away, that hell's gone. There may be another one, but that one's gone, and or at least another layer of it's gone, though there may be other depths of it, and to work through it and know you can do that is pretty awesome, isn't it? Amen, brother. Hey, you know what? One thing I want to ask you about is um, I'm, I'm going to disclose this to everybody on, on the show that, I've been, you know, you know, I've been diagnosed with bipolar, and we've talked about it. It's just conflicting goal. I have a friend right. who is no. I have a friend who's known me since 1992. He's 77 years old, and I go visit him in the nursing home all the time. He's one of my favorite places to go. And he was talking to me yesterday, late in the evening, and he told me, he said, Shelly, do you realize that the only time you take bipolar medication is when you're in a relationship? So I started thinking about this, and I started thinking about every relationship I've had all the way back to when I got diagnosed with it back in 2004, I think it was. And every relationship I've had since then, they're like coins. They're either pure ecstasy on one side of that coin or pure agony on the other side of that coin. So that's that conflicting goal that's catching me every time. And of course, of course, it's not the relationship that's pure ecstasy or pure agony. It's what's inside of me. And that's why the workshop is called not healing your relationships, but healing through relationships. So to recognize yes, that when I go into relationship in my relationship file, I've got this trauma and this pain and I have this ecstasy and, you know, realizing that neither of those things is caused by the relationship, but is there because it's there gives you a leg up on, especially when the trauma comes up of being able to free yourself of it and do your work. So it's pretty awesome. Yes, but that comes back to that matching bag of garbage. Whatever garbage you are, you're going to resonate that garbage in. You're both going to have the same ecstasy and the same agony, right? There you go. In one okay. way or another. Okay, so now so now I want to give you a little story that I've run into now, okay? Because you know I made some decisions yesterday that I had to clear up, and I'm very comfortable the way I did it, the way I handled it. It was very... I felt like it was very, from a loving space, what I did. And from my side, from my side, it was a loving space, but I had to clear something up because I had met a, a, a lady that we had been friends for three weeks now. And it's weird that she came into my life right when everything started falling apart on the other end. So she came in and she was friends. And she told me a week ago, she said, she's, she's, she's Puerto Rican and she's never dated a white man in her life. And she told me, she said, um, I want to, I, I like you a lot. You seem to like me a lot with a little Puerto Rican accent. And I want to move this relationship forward. If you want to move the relationship forward. I said, can I have time to think about that? And can we talk about some things? She said, yes. What would you like to talk about? 
And she said, she said some things first. She said, when I date a man, I date only one man. And when I date a man, he only dates one woman. That is me. And I was very impressed with that, that she, 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 she made sure I knew that. So I said, well, how do you smart know? Smart woman. I'm a very smart woman, right? I say smart said, woman, yes. Yes. And then, she, then I asked her a question. I said, how do you know that I'm not going to be dating other women when you're not around? She said, well, first of all, if I did not have a connection with you that I can feel you, I know what you're doing, I would not be telling you I want to date you. I will know. If you cheat on me, if you date another woman, I will know. She said, I don't care if you have friends. I don't care if you talk to other women. But if you date another woman, I will know. In my heart, in my soul, I will know what you're doing. And you will know what I'm doing. It was very She's refreshing. Right on track. She was right on track. And then she said, she's like she's done this work and never done it. And then she said, she said, if you have jealousy problems, then you need to work on those now. Because, or you need to learn how to salsa merengue, and you need to plan on salsa and merengue all night long. Because as soon as you sit down, I'm going to be dancing with another man. She said, I will keep him uh, back away from me. I won't let him touch me. But you need to know, if you sit down and quit dancing, I will be dancing with another man. That's, I just thought that was so refreshing to be so upfront. And open. That's just right, right in your face, eh? Right in my face with it. And you know what? I was okay with it because of what happened the day before. I knew I was going to be okay with it because I was okay with what happened the day before. That, actually, that morning. That mor- It happened that morning. Uh-huh. So I was okay with it. I, and I feel so and you know, and you know, um I only wish the best for anybody I've ever been in a relationship with and, and I hope that we I end up being friends with all of them, which I am with most of them. And that's um I, I and I just I'm so happy with this work that that's happening and I can just feel amazing things happening in my life. I see things every day that are just manifesting and, and popping and popping and popping. Doing the worksheet. Very cool. I'm going to go do some still point breathing here in a few minutes. All, All right. right. Well, we'll hold the space. And that, uh, that's an awesome tool to have that ability to still point and peel off those layers, isn't it? It is. It is. I was going to say something else, but I don't remember what it was. Oh, I was going to read you. Yeah, I, I just got something on my um, my um, text that um, came across. It came across like right before the show. You know, the first one was um, if you start, if you can't start the next chapter of your life, or you can't start the next chapter of your life if you keep rereading the last one. That's true. And the second, yeah, the second thing that came across was um, never chase love, affection, or attention. If it isn't given freely by another person, it isn't worth having. For sure, yeah, yeah. and way, if uh, if way. our pattern is to have struggled in relationship, then we'll think that struggling's natural, and it's not. It's an aberrant condition where forgiveness is uh, is necessary. Yeah, it's definitely not. It's definitely not right to be struggling and and having that coin with ecstasy on one side and agony on the other. But I thank all the women all right, that have sir. been in my life for all the things that they've taught me. I, I thank them for. I thank every one of them for the things that they've taught me. God awesome. bless them all. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank well, you, we Doc. hold the space with you, my friend. Thank you. I'm sure you'll be hearing from me again. Right. I'm sure I'll get something else to process soon. Hey, we'll look forward to the next time we get to get face to face. Okay. Blessings. Take care. Bye bye. All right. You too. Bye bye. So our calling number. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our our control panel, or if you're in the chat room and you'd like to chat with us but uh, can't do it verbally, uh, then if you are in the chat room, by the way, you can do a simple, easy registration process with Blog Talk, and then you can actually write in the chat room. But if you're in a position where you can't, then if you call 646-200-4169, you'll be in the phone queue and listening to us. And if you have a question or a comment for us and you push one on your phone, 
Through the magic of technology, a little hand will go up in the control panel. You'll rise to the top of the list of all the phone numbers of people calling in. You'll rise to the top of the list, and Jeannie will go, ah, somebody wants to talk to us. So, Jeannie, do we have anybody with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No, it's quiet on both ends. Uh, so I'd just like to put out to everybody that's listening that we have gotten a couple of things marked off of our to-do list. We have completed editing the 10 hours of DVDs, and those are all now in the hands Yay. of the videographers. So hopefully we'll have those here soon. They're, um, you know, they have to do their end of it now and, and work on it. And we've got uh, Ron working on pulling clips to put on YouTube and we've completed our portion so far of the members website and now have that in the hands of a tech who is uh, tying up all the loose ends and connecting all the pieces so hopefully that'll be going here very shortly as well so it's you know we may not have our books written yet but we've gotten a whole bunch of other stuff done so it's been awesome Definitely lots moving forward, and uh, I was talking to someone the other day about uh, the, the, what it takes to move the work forward, and they were talking about their spinning plates, and, you know, you've perhaps heard me use that metaphor uh, for the idea of, you know, the person at the circus that spins the plates, and they get so many plates spinning, and then they start another one, and keeping them all moving, and uh, I was sharing with this person that our plates have plates, and uh, and so they do. There's so many layers to things like the uh, Kabor's project and the manuscript and all the things that need to be handled in so many directions. And one of the, uh, the blessings of the uh, members' website will be that uh, if, you, uh, if you'd like to support us, and of course our radio show is non-commercial, we don't have any sponsors, we're not uh, stopping every you know, 10 minutes to sell somebody else's product or what have you. Uh, we're simply putting the work out there as, as deeply as we can, but uh, you'll be able to uh, join the members' website, and I think there are going to be three different levels of, uh, of commitment to doing that. There'll be a, a $15 a month level, so it'll be a way that you can financially support us if you choose to do that, and that will give you access to uh, unlimited playing of, I'm not even sure what, what it's going to be set up as yet, but uh, right. X number of it's videos. Big- Three. $15 is three videos. $25 is seven videos. And then $50 will be the whole video catalog. And, of course, each level will have other things attached as well and things to access. So so if if you'd like to support us once we get that finished, and hopefully in the next few days that should be a completed project, uh, it would be a way you can go in and sign up on a month and just, you know, have it done automatically. And uh, and you'll be helping us to uh, to stretch the work and take it to the next layer and the next level. And or if you'd like to make a one-time donation to support this work, I'm kind of reticent. We, uh, we don't often talk about it, but uh, it takes, uh, especially this year with the fact that we're not traveling, and so cash flow tends to be uh, a little bit restricted, and it takes cash flow to carry forward every project that's uh, that's ongoing. And of course, we have 15 acres and 17 buildings back at Heartland that uh, take ongoing cash to uh, to keep operating, whether we're there or not. And so, if you'd like to support us with a donation, uh, you can go to our website whyagain.org. And there's a donate button there, and we would be appreciative if you chose to do that. And, uh, you know, uh, Lady Jane used to, um, we'll we'll mention her in a a sweet context. Uh, She's someone who many years ago tapped into this work and uh, started doing it and was a a regular supporter. And about once a month when it came time for her to do her regular ties, she called in and reminded everybody, you got to do financial support of uh, what it is that supports you. And, uh, and of course, you don't got to do that, but... um, but if you choose to do that, it would be appreciative, appreciated and will support us in taking the work further and further afield, basically beyond a, a pretty simple, basic lifestyle. Uh, everything that comes to this work is used to take this work forward in some way, shape, or form, to take on another project, another aspect of the work that will help in delivering this to our ultimate goal of every mind, heart, and being on the planet. And so... If you choose to support us, it would be appreciated. 
And beyond that, if you haven't tapped into the forgiveness process yet, you can go, of course, to our website, whyagain.org. And if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a red and white bullseye. Click on it. It'll open a whole series of links. And I think the site's up well over 8,000 pages now. Thank you, Jeannie, for the unfathomable amount of work you've done. One, to convert these videos and audios and to upload them and get this member's website together. And then just the, the awesome amount of work that it's taken to, uh, to create the website and make the materials available is, is pretty fabulous. And uh, so, you know, without being a member or anything else, there's all kinds of material, videos, audios. Of course, there's, I think we're up over 14, 1,500 hours now in the uh, audio catalog from the radio show. And uh, so avail yourself of the tools, share them with others, and uh, let's be about taking this to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. Jeannie, did you have uh, another uh, piece of uh, information, a letter that you were going to share from uh, from the gentleman in uh, Holland that was sharing with us? Uh, no, I have talked to him a, a few more times, and we had asked him, or he had actually heard on the show that we had asked how he came in contact with this work, and he didn't answer that specifically, but he did say um, that he just asked the universe for something other than positive affirmations and, and law of attraction, that he needed to know what it really was about, and that that's how he came into the work. But he didn't say you know, whether he found it in the library or on the internet or whether somebody passed it on to him. So, um, but we've just been chatting back and forth and he sent me some other links to different things that he's doing over there. And so it's, it's pretty exciting to see that moving forward. We do have two hands up. Great. Let's say hello. Okay. Um, the first one is also a 207. It's not captain. It's another 207. You're on the air. Who do we have? Hi, uh, this is Mark. Hi, Mark. Well, hey there, young Hi. man. We haven't heard your voice in a long time. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Good yes, to hear it's, from you. It's, it's been a while. I've been listening to recordings of the show and uh, doing my work uh, on and off, but mostly on. Most most all the time I'm doing worksheets and um not as much the other exercises, but mostly worksheets right now. Um, but I have awesome. a a question for you, if you have some time. That's I what suppose. we're here for. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, as you probably, I don't know if you remember, but I, 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 about a year and a half ago, I broke up with my girlfriend. Um, my first girlfriend in many, many, many years. But and that was attracted partly due to the universe, but partly due to the work I was doing, uh, the Wigan work. And, um, but anyway, I got back together with her and, uh, moved to Maine for, for, uh, the last few months, but it looks like we're about to break up again. <laughs> and, uh, it's pretty, pretty painful as you can imagine. It's been a roller coaster. Um, well, can I can I just interrupt the conversation for a second, March? Sure, sure. Remember, and, and 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 I and I do this because language is so important. You know, if you if you listen to Yeshua from two thousand years ago, he says the power of life and death is in our words. The other mm-hmm. thing that language does is it tells our minds how to structure the world that we see that we think is out there. Mm-hmm. And remember, and it's it's just it's subtle. But it's so important that the process of denial sneaks into our worlds just so subtly that sometimes it's hardly noticed. And remembering that in this work, the definition of denial is thinking or speaking as though something outside of us is the cause of something inside of us. So when I say, as you just said, it's so painful. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying to my mind is a subtle form of denial. I'm saying to my mind, mind, you are only allowed to structure a world for me that shows me that this relationship threatening to break up is the cause of my pain. Rather than telling yourself the truth, I have pain, and as this relationship is threatening to break up, my pain surfaces again. 
When mm-hmm. I can shift my language into just something as simple a change as, well, you know, it looks like maybe this relationship is going to break up and this is bringing another whole layer of pain up for me, then instead of denial, I'm living in ownership. And the reason that's important is because when I deny something, when I think it's the relationship that causes my pain, then the cause of my pain I dissociate from. It's no longer mine to deal with or to heal because I've told my mind it's got to show me that it's out there rather than in here. When I Mm -hmm. shift my language into, yep, you know, this relationship threatening to break up again is bringing another whole layer of pain up, then I'm giving my mind permission to show me my pain and that I can remove my pain. And ultimately, I could have the relationship continue or break up and there would be nothing to do with pain, whichever direction it goes. And the reason there would be nothing to do with pain is because I've freed myself of pain. But as long as I have pain, I can put it on any circumstance that I choose to language has something to do with cause. So I, I stop you at that point just to, to invite mm-hmm. you to reframe your language to, hmm, this is showing me some more of my pain. And we're here, of course, to support you in being able to free yourself of that pain so that relationship or no relationship, you live as Mark, the active presence of love, how you're designed to live, rather than mm-hmm. Mark, the person who has hidden pain and thinks that it's caused by something outside of him. Does that make sense? I see. I see. Yeah, th- that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, uh, there's one other thing. As I do worksheets, um, sometimes I've been just finding it very hard. To, uh, and I want to put this in a way that I, I'm thinking about it, not necessarily in the way that I'm sure there might be some issues with the way I'm phrasing it, but this is what popped up in my mind to keep myself from obsessing about certain things. You know, it's it's one thing to, you know, uh, to let go of the goal and to invite Rachma in, but my mind just keeps like on this, on this wheel, this rat's wheel, you know, just spinning around, you know, about a million different things about the relationship and, um, and it's, making it just it's just been difficult to do the worksheets because of that because my mind is just running well you know what i mean a principle a principle i know exactly what you mean and a principle that might be helpful there is you know there's a thing that if you remember the intensive you were in a couple of years ago we talked about the file folder effect and the file mm-hmm. folder effect basically says that when information is stored in the mind in files, so to speak, and when two files uh, fire at the same time, they literally wire together. So, and you've heard me use the example many times of, so, so I'm going to resonate two files that you have in your mind. And I'm going to do that with language. And once those two files are resonating at the same time, they're going to hook together. So, so the example I usually use is don't think about a purple alligator. So, Mark, don't think about a purple alligator, which, of course, means what? The brain cells fire for purple and alligator. And, you know, if you called the show tomorrow or I opened the show up tomorrow and you were listening and I said, by the way, Mark, don't think about a purple, what would move in your mind, but alligator. So when you tell me about your mind obsessing on these things, here's what I'm hearing. Well, Mm -hmm. I've hooked my brain's image of this woman or relationship up with, and just to use a broad example, I've hooked it up to my sadness, to my fear, to my anger, to my beauty, to sweetness, to loss to hatred, to vengeance, to grief, to pain, to drama and trauma. And so any time any of those things move in me, this whole relationship issue moves in me. And so it's the file folder effect that causes that to happen. And, you know, when when you put two people in a room long enough and often enough, sooner or later they're going to step on each other's file folders. And when they do, 
if we're not conscious that what's going on inside of us belongs to us, then we'll tend to hook it up to our brain's image of them. So if I have pain and I hook it up to my brain's image of this person that I'm in relationship with, and then my relationship file is filled with all these links to all these dramas and traumas, then anything that shows up, you know, it, I, it could be something as simple. Like I can remember being a kid, and, you know, this is something I've done some forgiveness work on for me personally, and I can remember being a kid and, you know, having someone that I knew in my life that I thought would be there forever and that if they ever left, well, I would just be devastated and couldn't live. I can remember thinking that as a kid and realizing that that was errant thinking that my joy or happiness didn't depend on whether that person was alive or dead or with me or not, or that I'd ever see them again. But I can remember imagining, you know, especially going into a relationship with a woman. Well, you know, if that person weren't in my life, I, you know, gee, they moved to a different city. I just, I just couldn't fathom life without them because that's what was hooked up in my mind. And of mm -hmm. course, if no one ever applies forgiveness to that type of errant thinking, but whenever anything triggers, you know, it can be something like, you know, uh, I'm walking down the street and I see a picture of two people hand in hand and that triggers my relationship file and then my relationship file is hooked up to my pain file and my pain file is hooked up to, oh, if that person isn't there, then I'll be in trauma forever. And so all I have to do is walk down the street and see, see a picture, you know, a billboard of two people hand in hand and all of a sudden I'm, oh, oh, I've lost them, my pain. And, and I'm hiding my pain in my brain's mm -hmm. image of that whole aberrant thinking game. The whole idea of the forgiveness process is to review all of the aberrant thinking. That is, all hostility and fear-based thinking and realize that it's all false and therefore needs to be forgiven. And to recognize that my state of being and aliveness and joy depends on my connection to my source and the presence of love in me, not on this person. But if I don't know that, then anything that I or anybody in my bloodline is ever hooked up to pain and trauma can keep me obsessing in that pain and trauma. And so there's the idea of the forgiveness process that each time that my mind would kick into, you know, something that triggers my pain, then I see that object of attention as the opportunity to do the forgiveness work to start to disconnect my aberrant thinking and reconnect my mind in those very circumstances to the active presence of love so that I can come forward. I can be walking down the street and, gee, you know, this dear, dear person uh, was just lost to me yesterday. And I walk down the street and I see this billboard of two people hand in hand. And I step into joy and go, ah, two people hand in hand. What a delightful space to be. And I carry forward rather than, oh, that one's hooked to my brain's image of loss. Therefore, now I'm going to get lost in my drama and trauma. So if, if I come from generations and generations and generations of people who've had all kinds of loss and trauma, which most of us have in our generations, mm -hmm. and they've never conceived the forgiveness process, God, just about anything can serve for a trigger for pain. But realizing mm -hmm. that my pain being triggered is not the cause of my pain. The cause of my pain is my errant thinking, which I can forgive then I can free myself of that and simply stay connected to the presence of the being that I am as love and keep bringing that forward and bringing that forward and bringing that forward and dissolving all of the aberrant connections based in hostility, fear, grief, loss, drama, trauma. And that way I get out of that obsessive mind. And so that would one, be my One practical question about you. that. Yeah. Though, Michael, and that is that is so. For example, uh, yesterday I was doing a worksheet on this on the sadness or grief I was feeling um, that was up because I was triggered. Uh, uh, right. And 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 my mind, even while I was letting go of the specific goal, my mind kept going to something completely 
about the relationship, but, you know, things like, oh, you know, why doesn't she want to do her work? Why doesn't she work together? She's just repeating her pattern, blah, 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 blah. You know, stuff stuff about her, of course, but but not about the sadness or grief that I had been working on. So are you saying that that stuff that comes up like that would then be... But would it be All wired together. stuff I bring in in a new worksheet, or do I just stop yes. that worksheet and start a new one? Or Well, no, I don't stop that worksheet. Whenever I do worksheets, I've always got at least a dozen blanks. And we've got a, 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 a sort of an idea that we express called the hydra idea. If you remember right. in Greek mythology, there was a creature called the hydra. When you cut her head off, a dozen other heads appeared. There's mm-hmm. actually, if you go back into archives, and you might find it really useful to listen to this show, uh, there's a list of radio shows where we've walked people through the worksheet. And if Magda's out there, we'll say hello with a smile on her face because this goes back, oh, probably four years ago, Magda called in and had an issue going on. And literally, at, by the end of the hour, it was like the perfect Hydra experience. When when we finished, if I remember correctly, Magda had the start of 14 different worksheets that came out of her original issue. So mm-hmm. when I do a worksheet, I've always got a stack of blanks. And if I'm working on this and then I touch into, as I'm thinking about my sadness at the, the supposed loss that appears to be the, the, about the loss of this relationship, and all of a sudden I touch into my anger about her not doing her work, then I'm going to turn to a second, a blank worksheet, and I'm going to put her name in as the object of attention, and I'm going to mark down that I have anger and the thought that she won't do her work. And then the goal... It's pretty obvious. I want her to do her work. And even deeper, oh, now, gee, I just touched into another worksheet. Same starting point, but now I'm going to go to a third worksheet. And what I, my real goal, the underlying goal, and so all those other things would be the same. But when I get to number three, what I want is for her to love me enough to want to do her work and keep Mm -hmm. the relationship together. So that would be the third work in the Hydra. And so I'll I'll do whatever steps are apparent in my mind immediately, and then I'll go back to the original worksheet and complete that. And what okay. my experience is, is when I do that, oftentimes I'll come out of a worksheet with three, four, five other worksheets to do. And they're all hooked together, but they're all tying into different <laughs> files, so to speak, in my mind that I have the opportunity to free myself of. And, you know, for me, the the skill that we are inviting people to do, you know, the Greeks said, metaphorically, don't ever open Pandora's box. I said, Man, you'll never know what you're going to find in there, the horrors and the dramas and dramas, basically saying, don't open the lid to your unconscious. But But what they didn't tell us was that if we don't ever open the lid to our unconscious, then, or open Pandora's box, then our lives become Pandora's box. The ancient Aramaic informs us very clearly. The word heart in the Aramaic would be the word unconscious or Pandora's box. And Yeshua says, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. In other words, take care of what's in your Pandora's box. Let yourself open it. Let yourself be with it. And then he says, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your mother, the things you want to blame her for and think are her fault. You think your pain is about her not doing her work. Well, maybe there's a part of Mark that isn't wanting to touch this part of his work. And so that might be a worksheet where all of a sudden I put Mark in number 1A and the object of attention is me. And, you know, she triggers such deep rage in me that I don't want to do I don't want to touch that. I don't want to deal with that. Oh, geez, there I am. My goal is for me to do my work so that I can stay clean and clear in relationship. So Mm -hmm. what happens is relationships trigger this wide, broad spectrum of unresolved issues in our bloodline. And we get to work through every layer and every piece. And the hybrid worksheet is about touching into each of those pieces. And Mark, I think it's an awesome topic to continue with. And I hope that maybe tomorrow, actually, we're going to uh, be introducing uh, someone uh, who used to do our teacher's uh, 
show with us who's developed mm-hmm. a product called Generation Mindful, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I hope that maybe tomorrow we can continue this conversation because I'm sure there's more to process about it and more gifts to give the whole community by your questioning process. So if you could join us, that would be awesome. We're down to the last few seconds, so I have to close the show out, but uh, in the meantime, I hope everybody has the best year yet of your eternal lives. Mark, thank you for your questions. Cap, thank you as well. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael Jeannie or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org That's www.whyagain.org